From KMUW Wichita. From Toronto, Ontario. And from Armia, Spain. This is your saying it wrong. Let's talk words. Let's talk the hidden rules of the English language and how we follow them even when we have no idea they exist. I'm Fletcher Powell, host and producer at KMUW in Wichita, Kansas, and joining me, as they do every week, the authors of a metric ton of books about the English language. I don't actually know what that means. Kathy Petrus and Ross Petrus. Ross Petrus joining us from his home up there in Toronto. I say up there because I'm down here in Kansas. How's it going, Ross? Doing great, Fletcher. Doing really well. It's a nice, crisp day. I'm having a lot of fun out inside and outside. No shoveling so far. So <laughs> things are going very well. <laughs> and Kathy Petrus over there in Armia, Spain. Just a quick hop across an ocean. How are you doing, Kathy? No shoveling for you, I'm sure. No, no shoveling at all. <laughs> in fact, they're saying the skiing is really bad in the Sierra Nevada this uh, year because uh, it's been so warm i mean it's it keeps breaking records which is bad but i like it warm which is good so it's 56 <laughs> here so no snow none <laughs> and how are you doing fletcher in kansas <laughs> doing just fine spring will be coming along relatively soon so so i'm excited about that that's uh certainly allergy season is is the most wonderful time of the year here in kansas <laughs> oh i something i wanted to tell you guys so we're all pretty familiar with, by now, people saying they need to hone in on something, right, instead of home in on something. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. to, I, suppose, <laughs> I suppose to the consternation of some people more than others. It, it, I think I hear it so much now that I can't sustain indignation that long. Like, it, it's kind of just, uh, okay, fine. That's big of you. I'm still indignant. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, an illustration of maybe how much we hear that now is something that I heard the other day on a public radio program. Someone was being interviewed. We, we know that, I guess, properly hone should be sort of like to sharpen, right? We usually say something like hone our right. skills. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So I was listening to this and the person was talking about how uh, people at his workplace were looking to hone in their skills, not not hone their <laughs> skills. And they weren't talking about hone in on something. He was talking about how people were looking to hone in their skills. <laughs> I don't even understand it. <laughs> well, do you all want to get really depressed? Well, yeah. As Fletcher was saying this, I looked up Merriam Webster and I quote, Use of hone in dates to around 1965, which makes it only 10 years newer than the figurative use home in. We have enough evidence of hone in in use that we enter it now in our dictionaries. Yeah, but that's not honing in your skill. Okay, that's bad enough as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Fletcher's talking about honing in your skills. They're using hone. To, to, to mean sharpen, like they're honing their skills. Oh, they're saying hone in as in sharpening right. their skills. Right. So oh, now, yeah. now he, oh. was, he was saying people need to hone in their skills, as in hone their skills. But now he's adding that word in into the phrase because he's heard people say hone in on hone so in. many times. And he knows that hone means sharpen, but that extra word in is now slipping into Hone meaning sharpen. So people say, like, I'm going to hone in my knife. Yeah, exactly. Ah! <laughs> anyway, I, I just thought that was 
fascinating to to see what would have been a completely proper use of hone, meaning sharpen your skills, hone your skills. And now that extra word is slipping in there, making it an improper phrase, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. You can get rid of the quote unquote. It is. as far as that, <laughs> yeah. No quotes, improper. <laughs> but I would still guess that it's eventually going to take take hold. I mean, in both in both cases. You think people are going to start saying hone in when they just mean hone? I'm honing in my skill. People don't really know. We don't really hone. I mean, not that many people are swords or, or knife people. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> the original meaning leaves words and they become something else. And I, I think I'll bet honing in as just a phrase meaning sharpening one's skills becomes just natural. I don't think so. We'll, we'll find out, I guess. This this right here marks the first time I'd ever heard it, though. And so I, I guess we we can start the clock now and see see when it changes. Yep. Stay tuned and we'll come back in about 30 or 40 years and we'll talk about it. How about that? <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about some rules that we follow in English that we don't actually even realize we're following. And a lot of people like to pretend that they don't follow the rules in English or, or they're not bound by whatever the proper rules are, but there are a lot of things that we do that we don't really even realize we're doing. It's true. And that's what fascinates us. And this one actually was generated um, by an email we got from a listener. And, and we really feel his pain on this. It's a guy called Orhan from Chicago and said, I'm learning English as a second language and I'm having a heck of a time figuring out English pronunciation. It's crazy. <laughs> we're like, yeah, Orhan, yes. we know. We're with you there. <laughs> He said, okay, here's one that's bothering me. How do you know how to pronounce the ED endings on verbs? And this is interesting, Fletcher, because we all know the ED rule endings on verbs, but we cannot. Can you tell us right now what those the, the rules are or not? Rules? Not really. I, I kind of just say, duh. Okay, here we go, Fletcher. We're going to give you a quiz and then see if you can figure out the rules. Now, this is a tough, this is a tough, tough quiz. Okay, we have the word pass, pass the sugar, Fletcher. Uh-huh. Now make that, make that a past tense. Right, I, I passed the sugar. Very good. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. Now we have clean. Can you give me the past tense of clean? Yes, I, I cleaned the sugar. Ah, <laughs> and now the final, the final one, Fletcher, the past tense of the word want. Oh, right. Well, <laughs> I, I wanted the sugar. I wanted the sugar. Ah. So you just said, Fletcher, believe it or not, three different pronunciations of that past tense ED. Can you tell us those differences now? No, I can tell you two of them. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you, uh, I mean, let's see, past. Well, oh, because that sounds like a T and then clean ah! and then cleaned sounds like a D and then wanted ah! sounds like an ed. Interesting. I never thought about ah! that. Yeah. You're yeah. onto something here. <laughs> it's all boils down to the final consonant of the verb. That's the difference. That's why you have the some D, some T, and some Ed. If the final consonant is is like, um, oh, it's called unvoiced, that would be the case of the past. Fletcher, do you know what an unvoiced consonant is and what a voiced consonant is? So an unvoiced consonant, um, I mean, it must be something that doesn't, of course, have my voice behind it. So like a sibilant sound like the S or maybe uh, the F, the F sound. 
Actually, it's, it's easier than that, really. All you have to do is just feel your voice box or feel your, your neck. The key thing is, does your neck vibrate or does it not vibrate? Mm-hmm. Okay, if it vibrates, it's a voice consonant. And if it doesn't vibrate, it's an unvoiced consonant. So unvoiced consonants, like say K, and touch your neck. Is there anything happening? K. Well, with the A part of the K, there is, yes. Well, K. Say K. K. But K, right. it doesn't, your voice box doesn't K. do it. Right. K. Yeah. K. Yeah. Ka, fa, ha, pa, sa, ta, xa, qua, cha, and sh. Those are all unvoiced. Your voice box doesn't resonate. So what what happens with unvoiced consonants? Now let's try it. Which one of those had the had an ending that was unvoiced? The past, right? P a s s e d. Past. Right. And what ha- What's that sound? Yeah, at the beca- end? it becomes a t there at the end. Right. So next, though, then you have, if you've got vo- unvoiced consonants, you can imagine what would be the opposite. This is a toughie. Voiced. <laughs> yes, very good. And in those cases, that's like a B, an N, a D, um, a G. That's when you vibrate. M. Right. We need that. R, yeah, we need R. that voice in there to make that sound. And that's when you make a soft D instead of a T. That's where you get the cleaned Mm-hmm. Absorbed. Yes. Right. Very That's good. the duh sound. Now, as usual in English, we have exceptions. <laughs> we have T, and is T a T actually is a is T a voiced or unvoiced? T. Well, it seems unvoiced. Okay, but then that that means it ends with right. It couldn't end with another T, right? No, it can't. <laughs> so what happens there? <laughs> Ross, if you had been a teacher of mine when I was a kid, I would have been ready to scream. <laughs> no, that when there's a T, I'm going to keep on going regardless of this. When it's a T ending, or for that matter, a D ending, which is another exception, the ED sound comes in. I was it, going to say something like banded doesn't end with a T. Yes. Right. But, <laughs> here we go. In the past, the whole ED was, was pronounced more often than not. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, like blessed. Yeah, exactly. Or beloved. We think about those um, mm-hmm. old timey words and people want to do the mm-hmm. ED sound on them. I want to interject where beloved is concerned because Ross's wife, Sly, actually brought it up when she heard us talking about this and said, wait a minute. You can say beloved, though, when you mm-hmm. say it's beloved, it's it's something that's a beloved. But when it's a noun, you do do the beloved. Dearly beloved. Yeah. His mm-hmm. beloved toy. Well, no, that, that's not a noun mm-hmm. either. No, but um, beloved toy, Kathy would say. Right, right. But generally, in speaking in English, the adjective, like blessed, or the, or the adjectival use, when it's not really a verb, is used with the ed sound. It's fossilized. But like the other one is interesting I liked was aged, because you have an, the guy is aged. He's an aged man. But do you say aged cheese? <laughs> no, no, you, you say don't. Aged cheese. <laughs> aged <laughs> age, age wine. <laughs> yeah, I, I no. do all the time. And <laughs> I don't understand why people look askance at me. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, I, I, I just love that. that This is where, I'm sorry, I'm going to do my little Chaucer here because we go back to how words were said back then. And, and in, our intro, in our introduction to Chaucer, in our prelude, he said the Drogte of March hath perished to the rote. Pierced. It was two syllables. Everything was two syllables back then. And then slowly we got back to the one syllable that we say now. Mm-hmm. Although I like, 
I don't know about you guys. I think there's something very cool about the dual, even though I know it's not correct. But aged or 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 pierced, I think is sounds nicer than pierced. I think so too. I completely agree. When did we start moving more toward just one syllable in those cases? Because I'm thinking about you know when we read Shakespeare out loud in high school class or whatever, mm-hmm. people are usually adding the ed sound, the, making it into two syllables. And would that have been proper then? Yes, it would have been. Okay. In early modern English, the ed was pronounced. The, the 1700s and the uh, 1800s, it, it began to change, particularly the 1700s. Although I want to throw more crap into this game here. We go back to Perced, to the Rote, I might add. Um, mm-hmm. I found that it was in the mid 1500s there were one syllable versions, and you can see it because it's in it's in poetry, so you can see the meter. So you start you did have even back then some cases where it was becoming one syllable, even though mm-hmm. it persisted as two pretty much for a long time. It was a change that that happened over a good bit of time. It wasn't one of those things where where people just decided, oh, let's make it sound more like something else and then threw that change on everybody. It, it was one of those natural changes that just happened. Yeah. Okay. So have we finished this part? <laughs> <laughs> Ross, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> okay, we're going to move into another type of rule that you have probably no idea you're following. I'm going to say the word. Kathy's going to object to starting with it, but I'm going to say it's animacy... <laughs> It's a technical term meaning animacy hierarchy, the rule of animacy hierarchies in English. But I'm sorry, I don't I think we're gonna bother. doesn't that sound like a Star Trek episode? <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to start on a very prosaic thing, okay? How would you refer to the car your best friend owns? I'm saying, who's, what, who is that? whose car is that? My best friend's car. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know okay. the rule. <laughs> Why wouldn't you say the car of my best friend? Oh, that that's the car of my best friend. Uh, b- because that's super awkward. Who would do that? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> because it does not follow the rule of Ross. The rule of animacy hierarchy. But that's the whole point, though, Fletcher. You just said it sounds awkward. Why does it sound awkward? I, this, I'm going to throw it in here. We we're going to talk about it later. But I had a girlfriend who spoke whose first language was French. And she would say things like the car of my best friend. That sounded completely and it would be in French. It would be the and in Spanish, the same thing. You don't have that possessive S in Spanish or French. Right. It sounds weird to us. It did not sound weird to her because she did not know. The rule of animacy hierarchy. hierarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy, why don't you start explaining to Fletcher the rule of animacy hierarchy now? Okay, let's start with what is animacy, you might ask. Uh, I'm sure many are asking. Animacy, A-N-I-M-A-C-Y, we're saying? Right. Animacy, let's start with what is animacy. It's Oh, incidentally, the opposite of animacy would be inanimacy, uh-huh. which actually makes it a little better because you think of inanimate. Right, that's sure. pretty much it. Mm-hmm. It's, it expresses how sentient or alive the thing you're referring to is. Okay. So, like, the car does not have animacy. No, but the, but the friend does. Right. So you're describing the car by the animacy, which is your, is, is your friend. Okay. Do you see it, Fletcher? No, let's keep going here. 
Okay, we're saying animate, basically, I mean, we're saying, I mean it, it, what moves and what doesn't move? What's alive and what isn't alive? The closer you get to alive, the more often you use the apostrophe S. The further away you get from the alive, the more you use the of the for possession. Okay, you'd say my best friend's car, not the car of my best friend, but... Because it's like your best friend. It's the car is the referent. You're referring to the car by the best friend. And because the friend is a human, you get the apostrophe S. But like the house of, you say the house of parliament. You don't say parliament's house. I thought that was just because house of parliament sounded fancier. It does sound fancier. <laughs> that's a very good there, we'll, thing. We'll get into yeah, that too. Actually, there, there is a little, there is, as usual thing, there are some exceptions with the of the two. And that fancy is part of it, too. Of the town is more fancy. But in general, the apostrophe S refers to things that are more animate. There's like a hierarchy of a listing. It's a scale in decreasing order of humanness. We start with humans. Then we go to animals. Then we go to plants. Then we go to natural forces. (laughs) Then we go to concrete objects. And then we go down to abstract objects. And in that order, we just told you. And this is a hierarchy that we know. You would say my friend's car, not the car of my friend. My cat's scratching post, not the scratching post of my cat. But my bike's pedal needs tightening. It's either way, the pedal of my bike or my bike's pedal. They both work. Using this same hierarchy, the of the is often used with more inanimate objects. It's almost never used with animate people. That's the key thing here. Okay, Okay, so the apostrophe S can be used in any case, more or less. I mean, maybe not not Parliament's house, but but the of the isn't going to be used when there's an animate object involved. Okay. Very rarely. So like, Kathy, you briefly said you can say the bike's pedal or the pedal of the bike, and either one works. And I think it's true, right? The bike's pedal fell off, the pedal of the bike fell off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, but you wouldn't say my friend's cat ran up a tree. I mean, you you would say my friend's cat ran up a tree. You wouldn't say the the cat of my friend ran up a tree because the cat is... Correct. Because my friend is animate. Right, okay. And you see now, like, yeah. the official rule says you, you don't use apostrophe S, you use the of the with inanimate objects. But a lot of times it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I mean, some, I mean, technically it would be instead of the hotel's windows, it should be the windows of the hotel. But there's nothing wrong with the hotel's windows at all. I don't know. No, it's a tendency. I think the key thing is the tendency tends to be when it's animate, you use apostrophe S far more frequently than you use the of the. That's it. And then you might use the of the, though, with, like, for example, we have a book. Uh, we, I'm referring to Dostoevsky's novels. That's obviously the apostrophe there. But in some cases, you might say the novels of Dostoevsky. Oh, yeah. It's a more classy, and that's like, if I'm giving a speech, I would not say Dostoevsky's novels. I would say, I'm giving a speech on the novels of Dostoevsky. It sounds mm-hmm. classier. It's a better book title. So this is a rule that sort of typically... English, (laughs) typically fuzzy, typically annoying, and typically difficult to to really articulate very well. (laughs) And with inanimate objects, a lot of times the apostrophe S is used, like we just said up here, is might be used in more casual circumstances as well. NPR shows are fabulous. That's a that's a, that's particularly a, sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one you're listening to right now. <laughs> yeah. Right, but we might do the podcasts of NPR again for a um, 
for a more formal situation. It's it's interesting because you've got preferred and not preferred pretty much. And mm-hmm. and I, I think it, as Ross said, the fuzziness, because what's technically preferred a lot of times to me doesn't sound right. But this is one case where Ross, okay, you and I were debating this mm-hmm. um, with possessives. Okay, Fletcher, what works best for you? What should I say to the ex-wife of Dr. Fletcher's son? Or what should I say to Dr. Dr. Fletcher's son's ex-wife? I know which I prefer. Actually, the the latter. Uh, the 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 latter is is way more clear to my ears. Me too. Wow. Me too. I I picked the first one, the former. Interesting, because when when Kathy said that first one, I kind of had to like try to map that out in my head, and then when she said the second one, it was completely clear to me who she was talking about. Same wow, with me. that's so interesting. Exactly the same. A double possessive. I had no problems with. And that's not preferred. You and I are technically in, in we're flouting the rule hmm. of animacy hierarchy. Hmm. No. <laughs> I'm going to throw another one out. He is the son of the famous archaeologist or he is the famous archaeologist's son. The latter. Um, well, I mostly just don't like how archaeologist's son sounds uh, <laughs> with, with all those Sibilant sounds smashed up together, so mm-hmm. I, I would go with the former in that case, just because of how it sounds. But uh, they're, they they both work for me, and, and I think that's because mm-hmm. there's only there's only one possessive there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little bit easier. But again, we could I mean again we go back into exceptions. We we're talking about the apostrophe with like a lot of times numbers. We also use the the, the familiar apostrophe. I've had experience of five years is really awkward. I've had five years experience. Hmm. Again, apostrophe mm-hmm. is very easy. One dollar's worth worth of one dollar is bizarre. Oh, you hard never days say night. That. Yeah. Hard days night, you know, a night the of hard night of a hard, hard day. Yeah. No. So I think we're we're kind of getting into a rule here that is basically more of a tendency. Maybe we should have said that. It's more of a tendency. Than a rule, but animacy itself as an idea is extremely important in in most language, and you'll see that with children. I mean, they, they apparently get the idea of animacy really quickly. It moves. It can give me food. It's good, or it moves. It can you know hit, hurt me. It's bad. They get that animacy apparently very quickly at about six months old. It's it's so English though. I mean, I know every uh, language or most languages have animacy hierarchy, and I know it's bigger in certain languages than others. But it just it's I'm just looking, I'm just glancing at all our notes, and it, as is typical with anything in language, you just start going like, "Oh, now I get it." And then you go, "Oh, no, I don't." <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it just makes you want to scream a little bit. <laughs> okay, Fletcher, we're gonna add to some more, maybe a little bit stronger rules in English that we. Kind of know and kind of don't know. Catherine? So we're going to talk about the kind of rule. A very clever segue yet again. This is like one of those things. It's it's about plurals. It's, an, it's, it's irregular pluralization to make it a little less fun than kind of. But it's like, okay, you're an artist and you're painting a series of paintings of like, say, bottles and fruit. Okay. What would you call that? Still life, probably. But you did a bunch of them, Fletcher. Not just one. You did several. A, a series of still... Oh, a series of still lifes or lives. Which one would you say? Right. Series of still... I would say a series of still lifes, probably. 
Precisely, you would. <laughs> and I think you might know the uh, the hockey team from Toronto. Oh yeah, they're the Maple Leafs. Gee, they're not leaves. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Happen, <laughs> <laughs> that's like it's as i said this is when you do plurals but you're not following the regular rules of, of making things into plurals normally you go it's my life it's their lives right but with still life and still lives you're doing something very different and what it is it's because it's the kind of thing because a still life isn't a kind of life it's a kind of a painting mm-hmm Oh. And the Maple Leafs are not kind of a leaf. They're a team named the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That one fascinated because I really never thought of that. And that's the kind of rule coined by Steven Pinker. Oh, oh, great. Kind of. They are a kind of something. Right. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying it's kind of this. Yeah, but right. It's, not. it's kind <laughs> of. Yeah, well, right. it's a kind of this. Yes. Yeah. And now we're going to go to another absolutely fascinating rule called the expletive rule. <laughs> okay, this is the this, one that yeah. I wanted desperately to do in high school. I'm going <laughs> to let Kathy go on, but I'm going to start with the question. Why is it absolutely and not ab freaking so lutely? <laughs> and this is a this is a rule that is completely this is a rule that everyone follows. <laughs> uh abso Abso freaking lutely. Abs ab freaking salutely. I don't I don't I don't know the answer. I mean the rhythm uh, obviously sounds so much better when you say abso freaking lutely, but I don't know what the rule would be. Well, that's the key. And this is what I could not figure out in high school. And I so listen to Gene Donnelly who was uh, incredible at doing this and I couldn't. But anyway, you put the inserted expletive right before the syllable that has the most natural stress. Oh! So, absolutely. You don't uh-huh. say absolutely. So yeah. the freaking or other word goes in front of the lute because that's where you say absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's, Fletcher, is this unbelievable or not? Let's see you <laughs> use the rule here <laughs> with freaking. Oh, that's interesting because I wouldn't really say unbe unbe freaking leaveable. I wouldn't say that. Un no, I would just say freaking unbelievable is what I would say. Okay, <laughs> you piker, <laughs> Gene Donnelly will get mad at you. <laughs> I think Fletcher is unfreaking believable on this one. <laughs> well, right, unbe, but that's not right before the strongest stress. Un, you said unfreaking believable mm-hmm. instead of unbe freaking leaveable. This is where it changes. Yeah, okay. So what's the deal here? If you have a prefix, a negative prefix like un, <gasps> you dismiss the un. Oh. So then you put it in wherever. Wherever. That, okay, what's another one like un? Because it would be, what about irresponsible? Where would you put that? Right at the beginning. Irre-freaking responsible. <laughs> Honestly, again, I would put it before, before the word completely. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't even split up Freaking the word. Irresponsible. Actually, I think you're right. I don't think you'd really, when it's, a, when it's a, the er, it's really awkward. Yeah. But I think in general, when it's a, I think we have a counter rule we've, we're saying here. In general, the un makes it a bit awkward. A lot of times you do what Fletcher does, just freaking irresponsible. Or if you do use it, it would be um, irre-freaking responsible or something. I don't really, I don't think it fits with irresponsible anyway. It just doesn't no, it doesn't. Really, I don't think it does either. It, it's just one of those words that doesn't go with it regardless. So now, 
I'm, I'm against it. But unreal, unfreaking real. Well, that's not a, that's not a, uh, it's, it's just one syllable. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to come up with them when you have to, you know? You're Saying It Wrong is part of the NPR Network and is produced in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas by me, Fletcher Powell. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Armia, Spain. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario in Canada. Torin Anderson composed our theme music and our digital team is Beth Golay, Kate Hutchins, and Carly Cooper. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can email me at powell at kmuw.org or email them at kmuw.org rpetrus at gmail.com. You can find all of their books pretty much anywhere you get books, and a handful of them are also available on audiobook read by the authors themselves. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.